There is growing angst in this generation. Do you feel it? And I was thinking about it because I'm going to talk about this, and there's a reason I brought them up because there is this overall feeling of, and I can sum up as like, am I living up to my full potential? Am I living up to my full potential? For many, there's people who like want to believe in God or who are coming to a faith in Jesus, but they really don't know what this Jesus stuff is all about. This talk is going to be simple. Uh, I felt the Lord say, make it as simple as possible. But if we listen, both new believers and old believers, I'm sorry, I called people old. I fit in this category now. But older believers, this is mission critical, and it's an area that the church has gotten completely wrong. We have not been truly discipling, and many people haven't been truly discipled. It's just the truth. Uh, You know, it's been said that the American church is in a discipleship crisis. And what we see is that it's been heading this way, but with the last couple of years, it's accelerated. But this crisis is this glaring wound within the church. Uh, Deep discipleship is not happening in a lot of churches. I would make the case that in some ways at Redeem, it's not happening the way that I want it to either. We are not announcing some sort of like growth track or some sort of way that we're going to do discipleship. I want to hear, I want you to hear how Jesus has always meant it to be. You know, I was speaking at a conference with uh, my mentor and there was about, I don't know, about 200 uh, pastors in the room. And the question got asked, what had the most impact in your life when it came to growing your faith? What had the most impact in your life when it came to growing your faith? Uh, The options were, Uh, Sunday service, author or podcaster, youth group, camp or retreat, a life group, or someone took time to feed into me. Nobody picked the first five. Everyone picked the last one. Everyone grows when someone leans in on them. I'm not canceling Sunday services. I'm just putting it right size on what I'm doing here, okay? I'm here to encourage and inspire and preach the word of God. But discipleship also has to be happening in this church. And what we see is that everyone pretty much picked the last option, which means that person to person, life on life is really how we grow. Early on in his ministry, Jesus was setting this up. And he's saying, this is how the church is supposed to operate. I'm demonstrating how the church is supposed to operate. Let's dig in. Mark 3, 13 through uh, 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called, him to do- and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Bonagras, I was going to miss this up, sorry, Bonagras, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. At this point, when this moment happens, Jesus' ministry is flowing. And it says that there are multitudes that are following him. John and I were talking about this. There's multitudes of people following it. This is not like 
this church would not be a multitude. No offense to you all, but like there's probably thousands, there might be thousands of people following you. It says crowds are following him, all right? And so this is a big deal. And he's doing what? He's proclaiming and announcing the arrival of God's kingdom and miracles and wonders are taking place. And Jesus takes this time with all the hustle and bustle and he intentionally gets time away and he calls these men to the mountainside. And he says this, he's going to reveal his ultimate plan and it's to do what? He says, this is how I'm going to multiply the effects of my ministry. I'm setting this into motion. Now remember, from the onset, Mark is making it very clear that Jesus never thinks of his mission as individualistic. From day one, he comes in and his mission is always part of team. He is a team player. He's not an individual performer. We as a church, we as the church have become a bunch of individual performers. Some of us are doing the work. Some are not. Most of you probably think, well, that's Kurt's job, right? He's the pastor. He does the work. This is not a church of individual performers. This is a church of team. And what we see is that Jesus sets the example. So we fall online. We are on mission together. We are on mission together. We are a team. What does a team do? We train each other up, we build each other up, we call each other out to make each other better, we win together, and we cry together. This is what we do, okay? This is the heart of the church. This is not a Sunday that you come, but rather we come together to see the kingdom of God move together. Can I get an amen in this house? If we want to see things happen at Redeemed Church, if we want to see the kingdom of God move in powerful ways, you have to get plugged in deeply to a church. You have to. You don't sit at home and listen to sermons. You don't listen to worship music. You don't keep to yourself. Because what we want to see is we want to see God moving. And I want to make the case that many people feel this angst of what's the full potential What's my full potential? And I would make the case that if you're living an individualistic faith, the problem that you're not seeing God move is that you're not in the mission field. All of us together, we see God move. Jesus started from the beginning of his ministry, calling people into his ministry. Jesus was not individualistic. The first public act he made was to call the four disciples. And here Jesus is appointing the 12 to a special ministry. In our culture, we have a cult of individualism. I use that word specifically. People have been told a lie about the individual, about being individualistic. It's messing everything up. Jesus' work is communal. Jesus' work is communal. And Jesus is setting something into motion that was common in his day. We do not have it in today's world. I'm just going to be honest. This master discipleship relationship was common in the land of Israel. A person became a disciple when he sought out a teacher and followed him and followed his principles. I I was talking to my mentor the other day and my mentor and I were talking about like, how do you, how do you define discipleship? What does discipleship look like? Uh, How do you know when you've been discipled? And and he, he kind of really helped me see this, that Um, 
everyone, there's seasons of deep discipleship, but everyone should be getting discipled still. My mentor, I'm the pastor. I should have this all figured out, right? No, I have multiple people that I meet with on a weekly and monthly basis that are outside of this church who are discipling me in my family and discipling me on leading the church. I'm very intentional about this. This is part of my call as leading the church. This is part of your call as well. We have mentors and disciples who come into us. And he was saying the other day that we, have a, that we don't have this society anymore. In this society, we have these things called coaches. Some of us have coaches, right? Life coaches is a thing right now. But coaches are really good at developing skills. I'm still waiting someone, for someone to hire me to teach them how to, to have a jump shot. I'm looking over here. You know, I got you, bro. No, I'm joking. I, I perfected the old man jump shot. That is my thing. That's where I can coach. I feel very good about that. But you need to get organized. You need to become a better speaker. You need to whatever it is. But there's these roles and these are coaches. But these are specific to skill sets, okay? And then you have this thing called therapists. Therapists are great. Everyone needs a therapist, I think. I, I in seasons, gone to therapists. And therapists help us in a lot of ways. Coaches help us with skill sets. Therapists help us with uh, dealing with emotions, uh, maybe a difficult season that we're going in. They play a vital role in our life, right? There's, there's people that need to walk us through these emotional uh, things that we're going through. But then we have these things called mentors or disciples, and this is where we completely miss it. And he said, here's a good question to think about. Uh, when, I'm, when you're thinking about a mentor or a discipler, when I'm their age, if my life looked like their life looks, would I feel great? When I'm at their age, and when I get to that place, if my life looked the way that their life looked like, I would feel good about that. It's a great way to think about it as a church. If you're in a relationship with someone older, and if your life looks like their life when you're older, you would feel great. I'm 39. My mentor is 68. And I feel like if Meg and I's life looked the way that him and his wife's look like, I would feel great about it. So I said, will you disciple me? I was intentional. It was on me. I said, I want you to disciple and mentor me. This is about five years ago. And so we fly to Florida about once a year. We spend time with him and his wife. And it's amazing. But it's important that we understand this, that in the rabbinical tradition, a learner or a student attached himself to a rabbi, literally meaning a teacher or a master. And they enter into deep discipleship and so Jesus is calling the 12 to deep discipleship, a learner and a master. And throughout history, the Christian faith, there we have seen since the beginning, we have seen generation to generation to generation. This is how the gospel spread. If we want life-altering, long-lasting change in our life, this is the angst that this next generation is feeling. I'm just going to be completely transparent with you. This is the angst that they're feeling. They don't, and it's probably on both sides, but they don't feel like they're getting fed into in that way. This, this life, they want life-altering, life-changing, life-long-lasting uh, life, life, change. But what we see is that they're not attaching themselves to someone who's further down the faith than them. And so they're just trying to figure it all themselves, Right? Diego's doing a great job leading the youth. 
uh, many of us join a life group that's at the same age. One of the problems that we have is that it's just a bunch of people at the same level just talking to each other. It's not a bad thing, but we also have to have people who are intentionally speaking into our lives. My, my life was changed by my mentor, Greg. I was truly discipled when I was 13 years old, and I've said this a couple times on stage, by an 80-year-old farmer named Wilbur. I'm not even joking. And we used to, every Saturday, for a year, he took me to this famous place called Bob Evans. I don't know if you guys know Bob Evans. Throw up Bob Evans up there. This is like the most Indiana place that you could ever see. It was the best biscuits and gravies that I ever had, and he would buy me biscuits and gravy, and at 13, I'm sitting in front of this 80-year-old, and he is discipling me. He's telling me the tenets of the faith. He's explaining how this works. But here's the thing. I remember vividly the day that it took root. And on that day, he was talking about, it will last forever. I'll remember this forever. But he was talking about losing his wife. And it was only because of his deep love for Jesus that he was able to make it through that season. And that comment instantly impacted me. Instantly, someone was teaching me how to take my faith from here and putting my faith to here. One of the challenges is this next generation is getting led by the internet and they're just trying to figure it out up here, figure it out up here. And no one is showing them how to move it from here to here. So I'll throw up this slide. This is what my life looks like sometimes uh, of, the, of all the sermons and stuff. This is like how I consume content, right? You see all this stuff. Church in some ways has become a content game. But I was thinking about this. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with this. I want to hear people hear me say this. Listen to podcasts. Watch YouTubes. Watch preachers that are way better than me. Amen to that. I hear you. But this is the equivalent of like me taking the responsibility that I have. I have a 10 and an 8-year-old. I have Jeremiah and Abraham. This is like me going and buying them an apartment, moving them in there and say, don't worry, YouTube's got it. Anything you need to do, change a tire, cook an egg, whatever you need, just throw on there and watch it on YouTube and you'll figure it out. And we as a church have done this. We have said, there it all is. It's a content game. It's a content game. And the next generation, and many of you who don't yet even know how to do this faith, you're saying, I have no idea what's going on. I know that I was promised something when I said yes to Jesus, but I do not feel like I'm experiencing the kingdom of God. I'm watching all the content, but no one is saying, let me help you experience the knowledge that you are getting. Here's the other problem. My mentor does it. Many people in my life do it. My father-in-law does it to me. Sometimes we need to be challenged. Sometimes we need to be rebuked. Sometimes we need to be encouraged. And sometimes we need to be inspired. This only happens on life on life. Passing down the knowledge that societies throughout time have done that. Jesus, in this time, in his active ministry, he's saying, essential knowledge, my 12, essential knowledge has to be passed down to you. It has to be passed down to you, life on life. But what we see is that when discipleship starts to break down, we see what happens. Essential knowledge gets put, doesn't get pushed down. 
and we see breakdowns. We see breakdowns in families. We see breakdowns in church. We see anxiety on the rise. We see worry on the rise. We see depression on the rise. And then this generation does not know what to do. There's a breakdown of discipleship. There's a breakdown of discipleship. This generation, hear me say this for the young people in the room. When I say this generation, I mean all of us, okay? I don't mean this next generation, my generation, whatever. All of us that are in this room. We've got it wrong. One, many young people, and I'll say it, are weary of this student-disciple relationship. Two, this is just inconvenient. I'm just going to lay it out. It's inconvenient to do it this way. It's 100% inconvenient. It's going to require sacrifice and time and energy and Bob Evans biscuits and gravy, all right? Or Sherry's biscuits and gravy. There we go. We're inconvenienced by it. It's just true. But then we find that we don't really know how to do this Jesus thing. If we're going to talk about the way of Jesus, if we're looking at the story of Mark and the way of Jesus, we are raising a generation that wants to have faith, wants to believe these things, but then they're like, I don't even know how to do this thing. And what happens is our lives start to look a mess. Can I get an amen? It happens to me. And we find ourselves like, I don't really have people to come around me. I don't have a voice to go to to say, man, I'm trying to figure this out. And so we Google how to, how to not feel as anxious, Jesus style. And we watch it and we think, oh, there we go. But we have nobody to pray with us. We have nobody to teach us. We have nobody to say, come on over. Just come sit on my couch and have a cup of chamomile tea. I mean, seriously, that's what we're talking about. You have to be in relationship. I think about this because you can just read this, this line, and I just want to, I separated this intentionally. There's, I'm not breaking it down theologically, but I'm thinking about the disciples that were there. And there's a lie that you could tell yourself, but I guarantee they're sitting there, and they're following, this, they're following Jesus. They're saying yes to this, but this wasn't convenient for them either. Like, they left everything for this. We don't see it, but I'm not even sure if they're pleased with the call. Some of them may, some of them may not. But none of them, it was clear, were prepared for this call or mission. When you said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to Jesus, you were not ready or prepared for the call that you were going to be on. That now becomes our responsibility. All right? Isn't that weird? That's how the church is meant to be. You say yes you say, this is my faith, I'm all in, and now it becomes the church's responsibility. All right, we got this Jeremiah and Abraham, 8 and 10-year-old. We got this little new believer that's coming. How do we teach them the ways? Not send them a bunch of links. Verse 14 and 15. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Man, when we see Jesus calls out his disciples for two reasons, so that they could be with him, they would be in immediate association with him. I want to hear that. One of the problems that we have is that part of the discipleship game is immediate association with each other. 24-7 here, I'm not calling you 24-7. Nobody's coming and moving in with me, all right? But 24-7 is what this would have been, right? 
24-7 is what this would have been. But this model was that he knew that if, he was, if they were with him, that they would be trained. Sometimes we miss it as the discipler, just so you all hear, because I know there's many believers that have been here for a long time, that, that we have to have it all figured out. We have to know exactly every, every biblical thing that anyone could ask. You, that's not what we're calling to. Instead, we're calling them to come to see how I live my faith. If you want to see the kingdom move, just come see how I live out my faith. And what we see is that he had the ultimate goal of being, for them to be sent out. New believers, that's our ultimate goal, that you would come into the faith and that if you just be around us, that at some point you're going to be ready to send out to advance the kingdom of God as well. As teachers do, so the disciples do. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, this is what I do. I preach the good news and I cast out demons. I, I pray for people. And this is the thing that I want you to do. And he says this to not the religious elite. That's what's crazy. The regular people with no special qualification. But what he's saying as a disciple, and I want you to hear this. He's saying, I'm going to teach you how to move from operating in the kingdom of this world to operating into the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, this is what I do as a teacher. This is who I am as Jesus. You are in the kingdom of the world. You said yes to Jesus. Now let's get into the kingdom of God, and I'm going to show you how to do this. This is how we reach our full potential. This is the angst of the next generation. They want the full potential. They want to experience this thing. They want to do the works of the ministry. But it's also important to note that there are moments that you're going to be scared. If you're new into the faith or if you're new into stepping in this, there are moments you're going to be scared. There are moments that I am scared. There are moments when you're going to be confused. There's moments when you're going to be intimidated. And we see that you're not alone because the disciples had the same stuff. The book of Mark, we're going to see this through it. But becoming a disciple was mixed with training and suffering and mistakes. So when Jesus is on that mountainside and he's saying this is what it's going to look like, he's going to say, don't worry, this is going to be hard, but you're going to see the things that I do. And he's saying, look, you're going to get trained, but you're also going to suffer and you're going to make mistakes. He uses this to show the meaning of true discipleships. The disciples' misunderstanding, fear, and lack of faith play an important role for us because it shows us that their dedication and their failures Help us in becoming a disciple. At the same time, we see that he's calling them to a life in all its fullness. And when Jesus calls these disciples, and when Jesus calls us, and we said yes, he didn't say it was going to be easy. That's part of it. He said you're going to live up to your full potential. That's what he's saying to the disciples. You were taxmen and you were fishermen and you were not living up to your full potential. But when you come in to living for the kingdom of God, you are going to live up to your full potential. We've created a problem in the church, though. We've created this problem called easy beliefism. We want you in the door. Once you're in the door, we don't really care. That's not what this has all been about. People are saying, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I have faith. That's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls 
us to be his disciples, to do the work, to advance the kingdom, to dedicate our lives as a disciple unto him. There's so much loaded in this discipleship call. It takes total commitment, total commitment to look more Christ-like. Throughout scriptures, we see this. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.13, I love this. Because this is the disciple, I feel like this is Paul's way of disciple call. Verse 13, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul is saying this, to be a disciple, you have to be willing to look like a complete fool. This is total commitment. It comes with the territories. He says it, it, we see it with Jesus multiple times. We see it with the 12 and Paul's reiterating it. For us as disciples... We have to have such a disregard for ourselves and such a regard for Jesus that any rational people person would say he is straight out of his mind. She is straight out of her mind. This is the devotion of the disciple. This is what Jesus is calling us to. This is what Jesus was calling his uh, 12 to and he's calling us to. Only a person who is utterly devoted to God will ultimately so show such little regard for themselves like we are called to. And why do we do this? Paul says it's because Christ lived that way. When Christ said, come be with me, right? Proclaim the good news and cast out demons. He's saying, this is what I'm doing. And you know how this road ends. But this is what the life of a disciple is. He's our master, and we are the student. But in that crazy way of life, we also see this selfless abandon, this selfless acts will bring us into the kingdom of God and will bring us to experiencing the kingdom of God like we have never seen before, but it's this way of living. I love Colossians 9, 11. I'm going to read it for us as well, but Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to believe for the believers, I'm going to pray for the believers, and my prayer is for spiritual maturity. And I think this defines spiritual maturity. This is what we do when someone says yes to faith. This is our same prayer for them, that they would experience this. A.K.A. he prays for us to look more Christ-like. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God for what? To fill you with the knowledge of his will. We help people understand and be filled with the knowledge of his will that they, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, that we help them see how the Spirit is moving and help them understand what it means to have uh, full wisdom and understanding so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. We help people understand what it means to bear good fruit, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Disciples, people who come to know the love of Jesus need to be prayed for and they need to be taught 
how to have endurance and patience and bear fruit and be strengthened and what, how the Holy Spirit works in their life and how they hear from lo- the Lord and how they live lives that are worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way of life. But Jesus is also saying we have to be learners. And I want to be careful with what I said earlier because I do want to say there is great, uh, there is great use in listening to podcasts and listening to YouTubes and all that stuff. I, I didn't mean to diminish it. I just meant to say if it ends there, that's not what we want because we have to be learners. Number one, we have to, discipleship involves learning from the word. It does, man. Anybody that's in the Bible app or listening on YouTube and all that stuff, like getting into the Word is part of discipleship. Getting into the Word is part of discipleship. I would make the case that it's more important to get into the Word with others to build each other up, but getting the Word is part of discipleship. Uh, Learning from Jesus is part of the discipleship. We are followers of Jesus, 1 Peter 12, 21. To To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We are called to emulate his character and contact to learn from his ways because he suffered for us. We suffer in doing good just like him, right? We learn from Jesus. We also learn from the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. We emulate Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes, and he leaves us. Jesus leaves us the Holy Spirit, and he guides us into all truth, that we would know the will of the Father. But we also learn from one another, and this is where sometimes we miss it. This is why the local church is so important. Local is the key word. Local church is so important. We don't just transfer knowledge, we experience knowledge. And what we see is that Jesus is on the mountainside and he's calling the disciples that this is what this is going to look like. Early in his ministry, he says, this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to, you're going to be with me. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you so that you can go do these things. Now, fast forward, Jesus, after his resurrection, he gathers the disciples again. And what does he give them? He gives them the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Baptize them. Got it. They believe they're in. No, verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. This way of Jesus, he's saying, is to be passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And he calls his disciples to teach and obey. We in this generation is simply 2,000 years later of this ancient practice. That's why you're here. Jesus calls these disciples here, saying, now you go make disciples. And year after year after year after year, generation after generation after generation after generation, here we are at Gravely and Bridgeport, and we're just part of this great story. People getting discipled. Each of us looking this way. Each disciple in the early church took it this 
took this to heart, and the gospel spread, and they shared life. And what Jesus is really saying to each of us, and he was saying to the disciples, he was saying, look, get the people together and say, look, this is what Jesus said. Let's dig into this. He says, look, here are the promises of God. Let's get together and let's talk about them, right? This is what discipleship looked like. He's saying, look, here's how you pray for someone. I'm going to pray for this person. Just come join me. Just come join me. He's saying, look, here's how you lay hands on someone who is sick. Your mom's sick. Let me come and just pray for her, and you just watch how this is done, right? He's saying, look, you, you, this is how you fast. Just come fast with me. Look, here's how you hear from the Lord. Let's practice this together. Saying, look, here's how you defend your faith. Here's how you share, your go- here's how you share the gospel. Come just do it with me. Come see. Come experience. Come be with me. Come experience these things. It's interesting because Paul, a variety of times, is, I'm only going to pick out three, but there's multiple times that he says, look, actually be imitators of me. Here's how you do it. Philippians 3.17 says, join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He's saying to the church, look, there's people amongst you that are living the way that we do, living the way of Jesus. Keep your eyes on them. Watch them. Learn from them. You're going to see the ways of Jesus. Philippians 4.9, whatever you have, lear- have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, when you see the fruits of the Spirit, when you see me, when you see me, you see me practicing the way of Jesus, right? Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us. So you may learn from us. The local church is God's plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. It's crazy to think about that, right? Like he uses us to advance God's kingdom from generation to generation to generation. If we go and make disciples, but we can't miss it. The question that you have to ask yourself is, have you been discipled? Seriously, have you been discipled? Are you actively being discipled? Do you have someone in your life that you know that you can walk alongside? It's an important question. Someone who will help you understand the tenets of our faith, to train you up in the way of Jesus, to help you make mistakes and walk alongside you, to say, hey, just come and be an imitator of me. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to live this Jesus way. Will we make mistakes 100%? But just come and be imitators of us to prepare you, to prepare each person to join in the movement of the kingdom of God because this generation is hungry for something real and I cannot think of anything more real than the kingdom of God. They're missing it. And that's why there's loneliness and that's why there's depression. That's why there's anxiety. That's why there's brokenness because, man, they're not living for the kingdom of 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 God. They're living for the kingdom of this world. If you're a believer in a long time, for a long time, are you willing and are you actively discipling someone? I, uh, 
people in the lobby probably couldn't see, but I had a nice little breakdown right here um, during worship. Two years ago, we lost uh, Wes Wong in... Uh, I don't know anybody that discipled better than him. He discipled me, mostly by just calling me out a lot. And I remember a man, I just was like sitting there, and we were singing Echo Holy, and he's, he's passed. And, and, and for a moment, I thought, I get to connect with Wes, because right now in heaven, he's singing Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. And then I just felt the Spirit say, man, would Wes be so proud of what you're trying to do? Because Wes met with people, and Wes called people out. And Wes, if you met with Wes, you did not get to leave that room the same person. And there's a, I bring it up only because, man, we have a legacy of disciplers. Many of the people in the room are disciplers. And Wes was so passionate about discipling calling people to a way of life that they thought they could not live. And I think if he was here, he would say the same thing. I was thinking about it. I was looking at my sermon while I was, while I was down there saying, look, I know life is busy. Wes would say that to you, and I'm saying that to you. I know there is so much coming at us. Like, I am not making the case that there is, that there is not a lot coming at you. All of us are busy. But we have to be ready to pass this on to the next generation. We have to create space and make time in our schedule to disciple this next generation. People have the head knowledge, but they need to know the heart knowledge of how to do this thing well. Redeem will have classes, will have resources, come to the women's. Come to If Gathering. We're going to be running Rooted in April, which is an awesome course. They're just like, hey, if you need the tenets of your faith, run Rooted. That's great. Jonah, was talk- <laughs> I was talking to Jonah about discipleship because I feel like that's the word for us this year. And uh, Jonah, I was just telling him all the ideas, and he said, man, <laughs> why do you Americans always equate discipleship with classes? Like, this is not, where do you see that in the Bible, right? Where do you see that in the Bible? Classes are not bad. I think they help us accelerate some stuff. But it's life on life, experiencing the kingdom of God. That's why Jonah is so passionate. I've been keeping him away from you guys, but he wants all of us to go to Uganda. Because he says, until you come and see with me, you will not know what God is doing there. Right? He can show pictures, and he can come up here and tell you, right? But it's not until you say, come, just come with me, and I'm going to show you the kingdom of God advancing. And that's the question that we all have to ask for us as old believers, older believers. I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead and stand up. I'm going to invite the band over. I'm I'm going to ask you to a bold thing. If you're new to the faith or newer to the faith, Or maybe you don't even yet know if you believe. That's fine. But if you are in a season where you're like, man, I really do need to be discipled, like really discipled, 
Like, I want you to come find me, come find Diego, come find Dana or Liz or Amanda or whoever. But say, I really do want to be discipled. I don't know how to pray for someone. I don't know how to pray for the sick. I don't understand really the gospel. I don't understand a book in the Bible, or I don't understand how to do this thing, or I don't even know how to be a loving husband or wife who follows Jesus. Just come find us, because I want to plug people in one-on-one. I don't know how you do this. This is not scalable, but in God's kingdom, it's scalable, right? This is how it's always been. So if you have that, you want to experience faith, take a bold move and come find me after service, all right? Or text me or email me. Everyone has my stuff. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's because of men and women who are bold enough to step out in faith, who made room enough in their schedule to invest in the next generation, that we see your church still active and vibrant today. It's it's only because your spirit knit people together in love to pull the best out of each one of us. Lord, I I pray as a body that we would be people who are ready for people who say, I'm ready to move out of the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God, that we would be able to walk alongside each other. Lord, I pray for a spirit of discipleship in this church. Lord, and and I'm sitting here as the leader just saying, Lord, we don't even know how it's going to happen, but we know that it's you. We know that discipleship is so close to your heart that it's you. And so we put our full trust in you. Lord, just call people out. Call people. Convict them right now. Encourage them right now. Whoever just says, I just need more of the kingdom of God in my life. Help me. Help me redeem church. Lord, I pray that you would just raise that out of them. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.